apostle, the chief of the apostles. And uh, Peter wrote but two letters. And as we spoke a few weeks ago in the introduction of this series, First uh, Peter is a very different letter from Second Peter. Second Peter is short, but the language that they are written in show that they were written by two different hands, the vocabulary and so forth. First Peter is written in very good Greek, and it's a very literate letter. Second Peter is a much rougher letter, probably signifying that the apostle himself, Peter, is the one who penned Second Peter. He mentions that he's writing this first letter with Silas, Paul's fellow preacher, and Silas as a native Greek speaker and um, educated in, in literary ways is very likely the one who dictated and translated for Peter this letter. So the difference. We have been going through a number of uh, passages that speak of the fact that uh, Peter's theme is that you, as a follower of Jesus, this world is not your home. Though we may be citizens of a nation, Canada, the United States, many nations of the world, that our true citizenship is in heaven. So we are citizens of heaven. And Peter is writing to a group of people. He says they are exiles. They are scattered among Roman provinces. And he's writing a letter, How to Be a Believer, people who are in but not of the world, how to get along with the world situation, and how to share Christ best in those situations. So this morning's letter is the sec or this morning's message is the second, uh, looking at this section of Peter in the middle where Peter talks about being subject to something, being under the authority and recognizing the authority of something in our lives. Remember last week we talked about the spiritual battle that goes on in the inside, but Peter put that in the context of the fact that we need to submit to the authority of God every day. We need to die daily to ourselves and live to Christ. He says we need to submit to God. Why? He says for the sake of the lost. Unless you're living the life that Jesus wants you to live, you will not be the witness that you need to be to share the love of Christ with those around you. So you need to submit to God for the sake of the lost. Well, today Peter talks about our relationship to the government and all the governing levels around us. And he says, rather than being for the sake of the lost, we do this for Jesus' sake. As his followers, we are his living advertisements of the person, the nature, and the character of God in a lost, broken, and hurting world. But his focus in these passages is submission. He'll go on next week, believe it or not. We're going to talk about slavery. Peter writes to the many people who are slaves in the early church and how they should relate to those who are counted as their masters. And then he looks at the family structure. And how women seem to sometimes in different uh, cultures to chafe under the, under the uh, hard yoke of, uh, of the structure. And he says, no, we submit to one another as husbands and wives for God's sake to show love and to care. But the theme of all these passages is submission. Well, how amazingly appropriate that in this time of upheaval in Canada where people have uh, tried to gather for protests and government have brought in emergency legislation and the whole world is looking askance at Canada, that here on the prairies, just in the, we take it, passages they come, today is our relationship with government. I think it's good for us to go back to God's Word and to be reminded 
of what our relationship with government should be. Let me tell you, I didn't enjoy putting this message together. I'll tell you right now. Don't look at my shoes. They're a little scuffed up today because God was stepping on my toes all week. I had to change the way I, I talk about and think about and pray about those in authority through government. In the book of Proverbs, King Solomon, a king himself, shared this wisdom with his son. Fear the Lord and the king, my son. And do not join with the rebellious, for those two will send sudden destruction upon them. And who knows what calamities they can bring. Solomon says to fear the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Scripture tells us. And that fear, as we see, is submitting ourselves to God. Having holy reverence and awe for God, for God alone. He is the one we reverence and respect. But Solomon says here, when you fear the Lord, also reverence the governing authorities. Because they're there at God's behest. God's allowing will, God, His permissible will, He permits them to be in authority. And you are to live in relationship with them. Scripture is very clear on that. And it will become clear through the teaching of Peter. And we have to remember who God is speaking through. Scripture is the Word of God. But God spoke through holy people as they let the Spirit lead. It's His words. But He speaks through the personalities as well of those people. And their experiences are reflected. And remember who Peter is. What his life was like under the Romans. And how he ended his life executed by the Romans. Keep it all in perspective. I call today's message, Fear God, Honor the King. Because a little different than Proverbs, that is Peter's teaching in this passage under the theme of submission. Fear God, Honor the King. Now I ask sometimes about, you know, just because I enjoy it. Sometimes the points of my messages rhyme. Sometimes they're alliterative. They begin with the same letter. Sometimes you just don't know what I'm thinking. This may be the strangest point I've ever put into a sermon. I call this first point in Peter a good Canadian for Christ's sake. Now, don't take that the wrong way. I was writing it and it took me a minute to catch on to the fact that that phrase, for Christ's sake, is a swear word. That's how many people, unbelievers, take God's name in vain. And sometimes Christians, we kind of, uh, we kind of you know, tone it down a little bit, but it's still not right. We won't say Christ. You'll often replace God for God's sake with heaven where he lives. We'll say for heaven's sake. Well, this is a form of oath-taking, a form of swearing that really shouldn't be part of the vocabulary of Christians. But in this case... It's exactly what I mean. That's what the passage teaches. That you are to be the best citizen of whatever nation God plants you in for Jesus' sake. Our relationship with broken, lost, sinful human authorities, we relate to them not for their sake or our sake, but for Jesus' sake. That is the guiding principle of who we are in this lost and hurting world, living as pilgrims, sojourners, exiles, just passing through this world. We are called here in Canada to be good Canadians, 
for the Lord's sake. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Boy, that is not a verse you hear quoted much in Canada these days, is it? Throughout the pandemic, as our frustration with our restrictions built up, well, we take out of context the passage from first uh, from Hebrews 9, rather, you know, don't, don't neglect meeting together. We take it totally out of context, but it, it, it spoke of where we were. We were frustrated. We, who are free people, we forget how blessed we are to be in the West, in a uh, liberal Western democracy. The government generally, apart from paying your, your license fees and the odd traffic ticket, they kind of stay out of your business. But suddenly, every day, the government was in your business. For two years, you have been restricted. You have been quarantined. You have been pushed. You have been shoved. You have been in the shadow of government overreach until you have it up to here. You're frustrated. But Peter puts it in perspective. We have it so good. I think it's good to remember what our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine are going through in Ukraine and Russia under the restrictions, under the persecution of President Putin. They have difficult lives every day. Think of the Christian church in, in Islamic countries as they are counted second-class citizens, the jizya people who pay the jizya tax, and, and their, the practice of their faith is severely restricted. So hard. We still have it so good, but we're frustrated. We've been through a difficult time. We need God to remind us of who we are in this world, pilgrims passing through. Peter says, for God's sake, submit ourselves to the earthly authorities, the governing authorities at the different levels. And he mentions one of the benefits of governing authorities, why God institutes them in a general way, that they are there to civilize us. Without governing authorities, there is chaos. The selfishness of human nature comes to the fore. We live in a world of might makes right. There's no justice. There's untold suffering. We need governing authorities to keep us in check against the worst parts of human nature. And so we recognize they're a gift from God. We ought to pray for them. Many of them are non-believers. They're doing the best they can but they need your prayers. In times like this where we feel chafed under them because we don't believe they're governing us well, it becomes difficult. But I think of Peter. You know, I didn't put a picture of Justin Trudeau. I almost did. I almost put Prime Minister Trudeau's picture right there. He is, in Canada, the king, the supreme authority, at least in parliamentary democracy, as supreme as you get. He's the leader of the party who is in power. Didn't even get a third of the votes in the last general election. But that's as close as we get in Canada. We do have a queen. Her picture's on the money. But she's more a figurehead for us now. It wasn't that way for Peter and Paul when they wrote about your relationship with government. They had a king. In fact, this word basileos just speaks of the throne that the supreme authority sits on. 
and that was the emperor. And in Peter's time, when he wrote this, you recognize that homely mug up there. It's the emperor Nero. Nero. An abominable human being. Nero, who killed his own mother. Killed his mother in paranoia. Nero, the first of the Roman emperors who made it a priority to persecute and kill Christians. That Nero. This is the one that Peter and Paul both say, pray for them, submit to their authority as best as you can. Do that. We've got to keep it in mind. And not only is Peter telling us this, if it was just Peter, we might be able to you know, explain it away. But Peter, writing largely to Hebrew Christians, Hebrew, the apostle to the Jews, is singing from the same choir sheet is Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Because this passage is very close to Romans chapter 13. Look at the first two verses of Romans 13. This isn't Peter, this is Paul now. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And this is the Apostle Paul who suffered at the hands of Roman authorities, oftentimes illegally. Remember the situation in Philippi? They were accused of being rabble-rousers, and the Roman authorities snatched them up, thought they were just some ne'er-do-well Jews from back east. And they beat them and locked them in prison. Only at the end did Paul bring out his Roman citizenship card and say, you know, everything you did was illegal and you are in big trouble. But I won't press charges. I just want you to apologize publicly and let everybody know. And he did that not for himself. He was willing to suffer in Jesus' name. More than willing. But he did that so that in the future, Christians would not be targeted as readily by the Roman authorities. But Nero, Nero persecuted. Nero blamed Christians, scapegoated them for the great fire of Rome in 64 AD. And then, under that persecution, he executed them, threw them to wild animals, covered them in tar, put them on poles and set them on fire, to light his garden parties. He was a monster. And of this Nero, Peter and Paul both agree we must submit wherever we can to governing authorities. Why? Why would we do that? In part, remember when this was written, God knew what he was leading them to say, and he knew the truth of it then, the truth of it now, that Christians are not at home in this world we're just passing through. And we need to be the best we can be to show people God's love, His character wherever we're at. But we don't belong. There's a group of people this reminds me of. A few years ago, I was with a group of people. We were traveling in Israel on the Golan Heights. And we were going right up to the Syrian border where wars had been fought previously in 67, 73 and on our way, we went through a village. 
And there were normal people. They looked Israeli. But we noticed people here, and there's some over there. We said, look at those men over there. They've got black clothes and white hats. And, and look, there's a woman over there. She's dressed like a nun. She's all in black and white too. Who are those? And the Israeli guide looked and he says, oh, those are, this is a Druze village. The Druze. Now there's a couple people greeting Israeli soldiers. Those are those are practicing Druze men because the Druze religion, at about 30 years old, men and women decide whether they are going to live an initiated Druze religious life. And from then on, they take vows, they enter into secret knowledge, and they dress in that black and white garb. The others just continue to live, live their lives. They're still Druze, but they're not practicing Druze. Now, who are the Druze? You hear about them in Lebanon, the Druze militia, the Druze being persecuted in Syria, and you meet Druze in Israel, about 6% of the population. Who are they? Well, there's only about a million, between 800,000 and a million Druze in the world. They are an ancient group of people. Their origins stretch all the way back to about 300-400 A.D. They were Gnostic. They believed in secret knowledge. And then they picked up a whole heap and helping of, of, uh, of Islam. Not all of it. It was mixed together. They were a subsect of a subsect of Shia Islam. And then they added to that, believe it or not, they threw in a, a dash of Marianite Christian theology. They threw in a whole heap and helping of Greek philosophy. And then they brought in Buddhism and East Indian teaching. They believe in reincarnation too. They have amazing mixture of beliefs. But you can't be a Druze friend because since the year 1043, they closed the door. No more people are allowed to convert to Druze. From then on, the only Druze are those born of Druze parents. The Druze. They're a small group, but they still exist. How do they exist in such a volatile area where they're not Muslim, they're not Jewish, they're not Christian, and all of these groups historically have been fighting for centuries? How do they exist? In three countries, Lebanon, Syria, and Israel. Well, those Druze, as we said, are they, should we be worried about the Druze? And our, our guide said, no, the Druze. The Druze are in Israel now. The Golan is part of Israel. So they support Israel. Well, what about when Syria was up here? Oh, they were loyal to Syria. They fought us. They'd kill us. But now they're on your side. Oh, yeah, that's how the Druze survive. Wherever they're at, they defend that land. And they're good citizens. The Druze strategy. I, the, I was reading about the Druze in a book called Ancient Origins. And it says that unlike the Sunni Muslims in the Middle East, who have Saudi Arabia backing them, and the Shiites who have Iran backing them, and the Catholics who have the Vatican backing them, and the Orthodox who have Russia and Greece behind them, and the Jews who have the Jewish state and the Jewish diaspora supporting it, the Druze have no external support. Hence, historically, they had no other choice but to assume homogeneity with other religions. They defend the land they're on, and serve the state they fall under. They had no choice but to assimilate with neighboring religions and communities to the point of almost dissolving. In Syria, 
they act in public like they're Muslims. In Israel, they almost cannot be differentiated from Jews, and they serve in the Jewish army and state. In Lebanon, they have a bit more freedom, and they coexist with Muslims and Christians equally. The Drew strategy. Go along to get along. But is that what the Bible's teaching? kind of looks similar, but I don't think it is. Because remember, the Druze, one reason they exist and are allowed to exist is because they don't proselytize. Their religion is off-limits. They don't want Muslims, Christians, Jews to convert to Druze, so nobody feels threatened by them. They are not in any way missional people. They are about themselves. But they are good citizens of whatever country they happen to be in. Well, we're not Druze, but we have a different purpose. And one point that Peter makes is that our civic life, the life you live in your community, is a powerful witness. You see, we are missional. God's children are called to share the good news with words, attitudes, and actions. We are light and salt. We're a lighthouse in our community. We want people to see Jesus in us and through us and be drawn to him so that they can know him and be saved by him. Our civic life, your life in your community, is to be a powerful witness. Peter again reiterates something we saw him say last week in verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good, and that phrase sums up your life in your community, it's by God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. What kind of ignorant talk is Peter referring to? He says many times in this letter that people are slandering Christians. Well, think about it. Peter, under Nero, before Nero was Nero's stepfather, Claudius. Before Claudius was Augustus's grandson, Caligula. And Caligula was insane. Caligula believed his press clippings and believed not only did Caesar become divine when he died and the Roman Senate elevated him through a vote to divinity and you could set up a little temple to him, Caligula believed he was God here and now. And he wanted all of the Roman citizens to show their loyalty by burning incense at an altar outside the market and saying, Caesar is Lord. Christians wouldn't do that. Christians wouldn't do that. Jesus is Lord. That is our theme. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so Christians during Peter's time were thought to be, above all people, disloyal, bad citizens. You don't support the Roman Empire. You have all the benefits of it, but you don't support it. They were disloyal. They were atheists. Imagine that. People of faith being characterized as atheists. But we didn't go to the temples they went to. We didn't pray to the statues and the idols that they prayed to. Our God, we couldn't see visibly, not since Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand, so we were called atheists. We didn't at least inform Worship, divine Caesar, are the Roman and Greek gods. Atheists. Disloyal atheists. Strike three, cannibals. Cannibals. In our secret meetings, we eat the body and drink the blood of some guy named Jesus. 
They heard and twisted and misunderstood the Lord's table, the communion ceremony of the bread and the cup. So we were disloyal, atheistic cannibals. Well, people today in Western society, they may think you're uninformed, anti-science. They throw all sorts of insults at you, intolerant, bigoted, when we just believe in truth, how God created the world, just basic standard mom-and-pop things. But this increasingly perverted and twisted world will always make you the problem. But Peter's answer, again, as Jesus said, live such good lives among the unbelievers that they see your good deeds and praise your God in heaven. Live such good lives. That is our civic life. Romans chapter 12, again, similar, very close to where we were in Romans 13. Romans 12, the Apostle Paul says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's how the world functions. Payback. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. We are to be the most peaceful, wonderful, best neighbors. In each of these last few slides, I have that picture, volunteers, a gift to the community. I think it's one of the most powerful witnesses we can have in Troshu that anywhere there's help needed, volunteers needed, because volunteers are the heartbeat and lifeblood of small towns. God's people need to be there. You need to be brewing coffee in the drop-in. You need to be visiting the sick and the shut-ins at St. Mary's. You need to be volunteering at the public school. You need to be helping string Christmas lights and pull weeds at the Arboretum. Wherever there is a need, the library, the museum, about everything but stock and shelves at the liquor store, you got to find God's people there. you got to find us. Do good. That's our civic witness. Bring God's peace, His shalom, His wholeness to this hurting world. You know, I've long believed that how you live in a home tells a lot about your character. Think about it. Put yourself in the position. You're a landlord. You have this cute little home. You rent it out. But the tenants, it's not their home. They don't know you. They don't honor you. They don't respect the property. It's not theirs. So they treat it like garbage. Holes in the doors. Holes in the walls. Garbage on the floor. Animal messes everywhere. The longer they're there, the worse that home gets. <laughs> but if you get the right tenant, it gets better the longer they live there. Any little thing they see wrong, they improve it. They make it better as they live there. Friends, this world is not our home. We're just here temporarily. But showing God's love, we need to be good tenants. It needs to get better and better because of how we live our lives, the love we show to others. Finally, Peter gets the red meat that you and I agree with as good Western Canadians. Point three Peter makes, we are free to serve. We're free. We're free people, but we're free to serve, he says. Verse 16, I love this. Live as free men. 
like the license plate in the States, the Granite State, live free or die. Well, the Christian license plate would be live free and serve. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Did you get that in the same verse? You're told how free you are, and then you're told that you're a servant? That's the word in Greek for slave, doulos. You're God's servant. And through that, you're a servant to everyone. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. I'm a sovereign citizen. I can do whatever I want. I'm free. No, no. Live as servants of God. Servants of God. I believe the greatest writing on this subject of the Christian's relationship with human authority wasn't recently written. It was written 502 years ago. Technically, 501 and a half years ago. The years 1520. The reformer, Martin Luther, he was just a professor in a little university town called Wittenberg. And yet God got hold of his heart as he was teaching classes on the book of Galatians and the book of Romans. The Bible came alive. You see, the Bible didn't exist in his language, German, but he could read the biblical languages and not just hear what a priest told him. And he recognized that we are saved by faith through the sacrifice of Jesus, not by belonging to any human church. We're saved by faith alone. And he began to have academic discussions about it. And soon, word spread. And people began to follow his teaching. It got so bad, it eventually made its way all the way to the Pope in Rome, Leo X. And he wrote an encyclical, a papal bull it was called, and Luther was branded a heretic. Now a thing, the Pope gave permission because he was like the king of kings. There were earthly kings, and above them there was the Pope. He had the real power because if he excommunicated a king, every one of his citizens, they were going to go to hell too. Now that's a lot of power, at least so they thought. Well, Luther knew his life was forfeit because the Pope gave permission for all the German princes to put Luther to death. <laughs> but Luther had a secret weapon. God allowed him to be raised up as a reformer 75 years after the invention of Gutenberg's printing press. And Luther was the first person to capture printing technology as mass media. It was a genius he had. Little Wittenberg became the printing press capital of Europe. And Luther wrote these short, easy-to-read tracts to give his side of the story. After the Pope branded him a heretic in 1520, very quickly, about every other month, Luther came out with a hard-hitting tract, the big three. First, he wrote an open letter to the German nobility, arguing, don't put me to death, I'm on your side. Secondly, he wrote about the corruption in the Catholic Church, his tract was called The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. He even knew how to have catchy titles. And finally, he wrote in November of that year on Christian freedom. And here's a quote. He began that tract with this quote. It, it was amazing. It caught people's attention right away. 
the track began. A Christian is an utterly free man, Lord of all, subject to none. Amen. His next sentence, and this was in bold print, a Christian is an utterly dutiful man, servant of all, subject to all. Was it a paradox? A contradiction? No, it was Scripture. Luther was capturing the spirit of these teachings in the Bible of our relationship to the world around us. You are free because of your faith in Jesus. You're free from the law of sin and death. You are free. If Jesus sets you free, John 8, you're free indeed. Free to do what? (laughs) Christians have been set free from sin to love. Faith and love are the driving forces of our life. And love is all about putting others first, being subject to them, serving them. Husbands and wives, mutually submissive, doesn't mean they're both fighting over who's holding the door open. Obviously, the husband, you better open the door for your wife. But they're putting each other first. They're meeting each other's needs. And as believers, we seek to meet all needs. Physical needs, Dr. Julie at the Banso Hospital. Spiritual needs, sharing the good news. Feeding the hungry, clothing those in need. We are free, free, but we're subject to all. Luther in his tract, I'll just read a little bit of it. He says in 1 Corinthians 9.19 we read, For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a slave to all. And in Romans 13, 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Love, by its very nature, is ready to serve and to be subject to him who is loved. So Christ, although he was Lord of all, was born of a woman, born under the law, Galatians 4, 4, and therefore was at the same time a free man, and a servant in the form of God and of a servant. Philippians chapter 2. As utterly free as Christ was, he also bound himself under the law to serve his creatures and win their salvation. Christ's saving example becomes the form of Christian freedom. That's powerful. It's powerful and true. We are set free to serve. To serve. Back to Romans 13. Does Paul say anything? Luther quoted him briefly, but what does Paul say? How does that relate? Verse 8, Romans 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man, this isn't just fellow Christian, this is fellow man. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment 
of law. Set free by faith. Compelled to serve by the love of Jesus that just won't let us go. Jesus said that's how Christians are. We're not like the rest of the world. His people don't lead like others. We serve. And Jesus was our example. Mark chapter 10, we read in verse 42, Jesus called them together. They were fussing about who was the biggest man, who was the greatest. And he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, that's parliament, that's all of our levels of government, we're all included in this, rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember what Luther said? Jesus saving love and sacrificial life is our example and our model. How we apply that to today we live in with restrictions, peaceful protests, government overreach, it's hard. But this needs to be our touchstone. Make our voices heard, but do it respectfully. Do it in a way that people will understand and glorify God for. Because we are told, finally, familiar passage, that we need to render unto Caesar. Render unto Caesar. That's a denarii, a, a coin in the Roman Empire that was worth one day's wage. One day's wage. Feed you, house you for that one day because you worked hard for that one day. That one from Jesus' time has a picture of Emperor Tiberius. We don't know if that's the type of coin in that passage that Jesus said, render unto Caesar. But it was something very similar. It had a picture. That one says that Caesar, he's pontiff. He's high priest. And he's the son of the divine Caesar Augustus. It made a lot of great boastful claims. Render unto Caesar. Peter continues, and we conclude with this final verse. Verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. <laughs> Friends, if you just wrote that on your wall, modern people would tattoo it on their arm, but if you would just keep these three things before you, <laughs> keep them before you. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Let them guide you in life, in your relationship to this world in which you are just passing through. Because we're on the mission. We are missional in nature. We want people to know Jesus. We need to live in such a way that they will. Respect, love, fear, honor. All of those are in this one brief verse. The passage I mentioned earlier, it's in the Synoptic Gospels, but I'll look at it from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 20. Jesus' opponents had set a trap for him. They're always trying to ask him questions to trip him up. 
They couldn't catch him in religious questions. Now they tried to get him in the bad books of the Romans. So they asked him, Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius whose portrait and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Now, friends, you know what belongs to the Lord. Everything. Your whole life. Every little bit. Your work life, your home life, your school life, your relational life, your thought life. It's all His. We give it to Him. And we owe certain things to Caesar too. Paul goes on in Romans 13. It is the right time of year for that where he says, pay those taxes. Pay taxes, pay tribute. Pay. Yeah, we do. We've got to obey. We're under their authority. We benefit by their rule. We are part of their civilization. We're part of the peace they keep, their justice system, their economic system. We need to honor and respect them as far as we can. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. In your civic life, your neighborhood, your community, let your doing good be your witness to point people to Jesus. But sometimes, friends, it doesn't work out. Sometimes the governing authorities will ask you to do something in clear contravention and opposition to the clear teaching of God's Word. And there we say, this far and no further. The Christians of Peter's time says, no, I won't burn a pinch of incense and say that Caesar is Lord. So they weren't allowed in the marketplace. They couldn't go into the Agora. Sound familiar? excluded from buying and selling because of their conscience. Pastor Dave mentioned the Renew event. Conversations about healing. Churches have been split over matters of conscience. Some people wanted to live according to all the health orders, not only for their health's sake, but just to follow authority and be a good witness. Others said no. The authority of the state ends at the church's front steps. (laughs) I'm an old American, now a proud Canadian. It has been hard. It's been hard. And yet one thing that spoke to me about halfway through the pandemic, I was a rabble rouser. I'm ready to take to the barricades. And that's before we had big semis honking their horns in Ottawa. I thought we should step out and do something. And then I saw, as we all did, those endless news stories about Alberta churches with fences around them and these proud pastors standing tall, thrown in jail. Let me tell you a secret. Pastors love the attention. We do love the attention. We shouldn't, but we often do. And these guys, what attention on TV all the time. And if you weren't getting arrested this week, you better go do something next week that gets them to arrest you again. There's a certain person that does it over and over. Wherever there's trouble, he shows up and wants to get arrested. But what spoke to me was one fellow, and he was proud, and they were celebrating the fact that they were flaunting all the government regulations. And they were high-fiving and feeling, and as we would, feeling very Christian. We are persecuted. We are God's people. We are separate people. And I, I was right there with them. But then... 
You saw all the neighborhood people around the outside, arms crossed, head shaking. Well, the news reporters went over and asked the neighbors of these churches in Calgary neighborhoods, what do you think about these people? 100% negative. These people despise us. These people set themselves up as our enemies. It broke my heart. There will be people in hell for all eternity. Completely close their hearts and minds to the good news of the gospel because of one little thing like that. Us celebrating our freedom or fighting for it, rightfully so. But at the cost of our witness in a community. There are churches across North America who are struggling with this. Now, I know our struggles in the bigger scheme of the world today with open warfare. In different parts of the world, Christians are persecuted. They are hunted down. We've had it so easy for so long. But that kind of life makes us so weak in some ways. Peter and Paul and Nero. Nero had Paul beheaded. He was a Roman citizen. You can't crucify a Roman citizen. So he cut off his head. And Peter, honor the king. He was crucified. They saw him just as a sectarian Jew. Not only Peter, but his wife before him. But they still taught this truth. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Sometimes we can't do it. Peter knew that for a fact. Remember in Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court told Peter, shut up, no more preaching in the name of Jesus. That was a bridge too far for Peter. What did he say? It says the Sanhedrin. Then they called them in again and commanded this is the Sanhedrin talking to the apostles, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There are times we cannot obey. We must obey God instead. But we need to look carefully at every one of those because we are on a rescue mission. The people who don't know Jesus aren't our enemy. They're the target of our love. They're the ones to be rescued. We finish with Paul, his encouragement from 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, and that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. And the point of it all is, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's it. Your life should be a signpost. How you live and relate to your friends, neighbors, and even governing authorities for whom we need to pray is appointing people to Jesus. 
As I said, I stepped on my own toes all week. I hope if you were offended today, it wasn't because of me, but it was God getting your attention, His Spirit nudging you. May God speak to all of us in this important matter. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, Your Word sometimes, it's hard to hear. It goes against the spirit of the age. And Lord, we know that we are free, but we're called to be free to serve. Lord, make us your voice, your loving, serving hands, and your feet taking help to all who need it in this hurting world today. Speak to us. May we not shrug this important truth off, but may we seek for it to guide us. We need that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.